Well, our names are Teresa and Gumby. Welcome to Escaping Society. We wrote our own song so we wouldn't have to pay for anyone else's copyright infringement. And we live in a van and we eat from the trash. Making this podcast open for cash. You better listen up because we probably won't last. Because we can't compete with nonsense. Hypnotizing nonsense. Welcome to Season 3 of Escaping Society, Episode 25, How Slight a Shelter. I'm Teresa. I'm Gumby. And we're in the woods, where we should be. (laughs) Uh, We're back in North Carolina, as we mentioned last episode, and decided that we would do one of our survival overnight challenges. Um, We'll talk a little bit more later about what that is, but we slept uh, in the woods last night, and... So this is our shelter and food challenge. It's a two-nighter. We're not able to bring in um, any food, nor are we able to bring in anything for our shelter. And since this episode is for shelter, I thought that was pretty appropriate to just do our podcast out here in the woods. (laughs) Um, Gumby, what is a survival overnight shelter challenge? Or tell us more about that. Why, Teresa, I'm glad you asked. Um, Actually, we want to do a podcast, an episode on survival overnights. Um, So I'm not going to go into too much detail. But basically, they get progressively longer, and the challenges get progressively harder. Mm. So right now, for these two-nighters, ha, ha, ha. Yeah, they're really hot. For these two-nighters, there's uh, two survival challenges at the time. This one happens to be, we've already done, um, let's see, water and food and fire and food, and this is shelter and food. So it's beginning to see how these skills um, go together. You know, for instance, shelters take a lot of work, and uh, food can be hard to come by, especially when you're primitive hunting. You know, you don't even have a pellet gun or a wrist rocket or anything. So when your energy's kind of low and you're, you know, you're thinking about all the food you're not eating, um, where do you find that energy? Where do you find that willpower to work on your shelter? So... This is what we're exploring out here. Um, As far as our shelter last night, we both um, went for the leaf pile. So just piled as many leaves as we could. And uh, it's pretty clear. It's kind of chilly. So we're not worried about rain so much or roof. And for this level of challenge, they get progressively harder. So for the first level um, shelter challenge, you could bring in your backup shelter. It was a one night and set up your tent and everything. And then you can bring in rakes, tarps, whatever, to help you build a primitive shelter. And you can get in it with your sleeping bag. So it's an introduction to primitive shelter. This is the next level of shelter challenge. So it's still pretty easy. These get much harder. But for this one, we can bring in backup shelter for the two nights we're out here, not one. Um, And the only difference is we don't have tools to make our shelter. We have to do it by hand. So we don't have rakes to pile leaves. We have to do that by hand and carry it in our arms instead of with a tarp. Mm -hmm. Um, But we still can use our sleeping bag. So with that said, the sleeping bag takes care of heat. And, um, yeah, we just made our leaf pile. And we're both pretty uncomfortable, had backaches last night. (laughs) So we're thinking we might upgrade tonight to a duff bed. Um, And one of the ways I've heard you can make a, a leaf bed more comfortable. I haven't experimented with this much. 
is taking like springy branches and making a grid pattern, crossing them, and then putting your leaves on top of that, and maybe even doing another layer of that and leaves on top of that. And I've heard that gives a springiness, a more of a mattress feel. So maybe we'll try that tonight and see what happens. Yeah, who would have thought that a pile of leaves could be uncomfortable? We'll talk a little bit more about leaf piles um, and the different ways you can use a leaf pile. But yeah, my, um, my failure is teaching me through a backache this morning. But I was warm, so that's good. Yeah, and this is where primarily, like, I, uh, survival shelters were kind of theoretical for me. I'd take classes. I'd write all the notes in my notebook. Sometimes I'd go out in the woods and try to build one. More rarely, I'd stay in one to see how it worked. But then I started these survival overnights, and they're all about experience. So I've gotten a lot more experience with survival shelters. Mostly failure, some successes, but I figure that's how you learn. you got to be willing to fail before you can succeed. Um, and the survival overnights, yeah, they get progressively harder until the, what you're eventually doing, the hardest survival challenge is you're out for three nights in the winter with a shelter, no backup shelter, just whatever you build and you crawl into it naked for those three nights. So that's what we're heading for. I've done this a few, few years. Um, this is Teresa's first time trying to make it all the way through the survival overnight. So it's a journey. It's definitely, um, as I said, in back to reality last season, attitude that is the mind game is the biggest thing because going for two days without food really isn't that hard on your body it's actually kind of good for your body but psychologically (laughs) whoo it's challenging giving up all your comforts and routines no coffee well that's debatable i'm still like considering because it's not a it's not a water challenge so does coffee like not having coffee fit into a food challenge it's not a beverage challenge i'm still having an an inner debate with whether i should go to my van and get a cup of coffee or not but i've got the keys yeah and i know where they are um let's see is there anything else you want to say about survival overnight shelter right now about your experience or anything yeah i guess um in the oh tell them about the intro my Your name. intro. My intro. Shelter intro. Uh, well, the that was the one where we did the leaf pile. Okay, so where were we at? Were we near a lake or something? We're in Bahama right now, and we were also in Bahama then, just a different part of the woods. Okay, so we were um, in the woods, and we walked around for a while and found this uprooted tree, and it had a, a depression where the roots had come up. And so we decided to continue to fill that up with leaves. And because we were both working on it that time, we did a pretty good job of, I don't know, maybe a five foot or five foot deep leaf pile, you'd say? I'm not sure. It was big and that was an intro. So we could uh, use a tarp to drag leaves. So we were, you know, bringing in quantities of leaves and we were on a steep hill. So that worked in our favor because we could just set up the tarp near the bottom of the hill and just kind of start kicking and pushing and getting all the leaves to fall right on top of the tarp and drag it over to our little indentation by the the tree roots. Yeah. So it was, it was easier um, with the tools and with the topography but that night, yeah, it was really hot in that leaf pile. I remember having to um, wriggle my way out because we actually went in with our, I believe with our sleeping bags too, mm-hmm. into the leaf pile. And um, as Gumby described to me yesterday to remind me, he said you could you could put your um, sleeping bag and then put leaves on top of it, or you could put your sleeping bag on top and then just kind of use your arms to rake the leaves over top of you and And that's when you start to realize how many leaves you actually really need. 
So last night, um, this area that we're in is, is on top of a ridge. Might not have been the best location for the cold, but we were still warm. It's not that drastically cold yet here in North Carolina. And it was harder to get leaves, and you you would think, well, we're recording this in, what, mid to late October, and you'd think maybe that that would be the prime time to collect leaves, but this year, not so much. The leaves really haven't even changed color here. They're still green, and they're still on the trees. So what we're working with is um, leaves that have been on the ground for a long time. They're rotten, and they're also covered with dead wood that has fallen on top. So it was a challenge, to say the least, to even get what I would say is maybe about a mm, two-foot deep leaf pile. So instead of wriggling into it this time, we actually just decided to make kind of a, um, I don't know, a duff bed that wasn't really, on my part, on mine, wasn't really well planned. I kept falling off the sides of it. So yeah. Um, But like I said, I wasn't cold, so I guess that's good. Yeah, and I've spent part of the morning uh, trying to hunt a squirrel with a throwing stick. And um, man, if your primary like interaction with squirrels is them running in front of your car and you're always thinking how stupid they are, try to hunt one with a stick. <laughs> and little critter, critters are not stupid. Um, yeah, and I was not successful. So, okay, so let's talk about shelter. Um, back in last season, back to reality... I talked about attitude, shelter, water, fire, food. So the more tangible things to talk about um, are the shelter, water, fire, food. They come with the more hands-on skills. Attitude, of course, is all the mind game, and it's uh, we might talk about that, um, but we're not planning on doing a whole episode on that this season. So with our season three premiere, we're going to begin with shelter and throughout the rest of the season, um, come back to water, fire, and food. So first of all, I think one of the things that helps me think about shelter is we tend to think about houses. Houses are nouns. We treat them like nouns. They are things. They um, just are these big structures that we have built for us or more rarely build ourselves um, that serve us. I think of shelter... Um, it's helpful to think of it more like a reaction. In other words, when I say shelter, your first question in your mind should be shelter from what? It's a reaction because that will dictate so much what kind of shelter you need. Um, For instance, do you need shelter from cold? For us, that's the main thing we need shelter from right now with our survival challenge at this moment. Um, And our sleeping bags are providing the primary shelter from cold. So what we're doing is just kind of reinforcing that with a leaf pile, a duff bed. Um, Shelter from rain, you know, then you're going to need angles. You're going to need a roof of some kind. You might not need to work so hard on keeping warm depending on the weather. You just want to stay dry. Shelter from dangers. We're out in the woods. Um, Most of the dangers I encounter are uh, actually uh, (laughs) human-related. So I feel pretty safe out in the woods, actually. But you do have to look around for the the dangers of the woods, big poison ivy vine, fire ants, um, during tick season ticks, things like that. Yellow jacket nest, that's one of the ones around the end of summer, early autumn, that can be active, um, which goes into bugs. Shelter from sun, you know, you might need shade if the sun's really bright and beaten down. Shelter from heat, 
again, like maybe shade. How do you stay cool? Maybe you want to get a little closer to the water. Maybe you want to find a sheet and keep it wet to try to cool off some of that breeze coming through. Um, shelter from discomfort. That's what we're going to try to troubleshoot tonight because neither one of us were too cold last night. We were uncomfortable. got backache, so we're going to see what we can do about that. And shelter from mind. This is... Um, <laughs> that's a tricky thing to address, but back to that attitude, you know, your mind can be your greatest enemy. And when you come out here and get away from all the distractions you're used to, um, whatever they are, you know, you might think like, oh, I don't watch a lot of TV. Um, you know, I, I hardly even get on Facebook. You've got distractions. You might be a bookworm. We've all got ways that we kind of distract ourselves, that we insulate ourselves, especially these days, you know, with all the, the things happening around us that we really want to escape from. The, these things we treat as drugs. When you come out here, they're stripped away. So your mind is a big thing messing with you out here. And it's a lot harder to hide from it, to run from it. So what kind of shelter do you need from your own mind? You know, that can be just how you sit, how you breathe. Um, but it's something to consider. I've, I've had that play a big part. Actually, the only times I've given up on a survival overnight and when I look back on it, it was my mind. That was the biggest hazard. I fooled myself into thinking it was something else, but it was my mind. And shelter from wind. Boy, wind has really been something that has uh, <clears throat> been a, I guess the word I'm going to use is adversary, even though I don't feel great about using that word, but a challenge. Well, challenge is probably the better word, but yeah, sometimes your, your shelter can be just a wall or something to get behind to get out of that wind. How Slight a Shelter, uh, the title of this episode, comes from a quote from Henry David Thoreau that he says, Consider first how slight a shelter is absolutely necessary. When I first took my first wilderness survival class back in 98 at Tom Brown's Tracking Nature and Wilderness Survival School in New Jersey, um, that was written on the board. That was the first thing they wrote on the board. Consider how slight a shelter is absolutely necessary. And that, I felt, was a very key shift in my thinking. Because before that, um, I wasn't really thinking of what I could get away with with a shelter. It was more like, what could I do? It was an aspiration, an ambition. Can I build a log cabin? Could I build a two-story log cabin? You know, what can I build? But to get you started, to give you that initial freedom, you need to flip-flop that. Turn that upside down. What can you get away with? What's just enough shelter you know, asking that question, shelter from what? What's going to get you through the night? What's your challenge for that night? And that starts giving you true freedom, true mobility. Um, so let's start with clothes. Teresa? Oh, sure. <clears throat> so clothing is kind of your first shelter um, that's closest to your body. I guess, Gumby, we've talked before with the kids about the, the planet that we live on, that's our shelter and able to breathe, we're able to breathe the air and drink the water. So we're at home. Um, but wearing our clothes is also another um, immediate layer of shelter. And we talked a little bit in Back to Reality about the different materials. I think I'm going to hand this over to Gumby again. But I am, I definitely like the layering option of clothing. So I have on um, like leggings and then another pair of pants that I may or may not take off during the day when it gets warmer. And I've got like a heavy jacket, a hoodie, um, a long sleeve shirt and a tank top just, just for the different situations. And, um, yeah, that really affords me the ability to just 
play with the temperatures of the day, whether it's too cold, too hot, and like what I'm doing with my uh, activities to just shed clothing as needed. Gumby? Yeah, it's a well-known good idea to layer your clothes because you can always take clothes off, but you can't put clothes on that you didn't bring. So just having layers of clothes and also being wise about what you use for those layers. The stuff touching your skin, it's best if it's not cotton. Because most of the time, the stuff that's going to get you into the quickest trouble as far as uh, having the wrong clothing in at least North America, I'm not sure how much this changes when you get near the equator, um, is getting cold and wet and not being able to change that situation. Mm. Um, Hypothermia is your primary challenge as far as your clothes go. When you start getting into hypothermia, or with that, hypothermia is when you get too hot, right? I I don't know. Yeah. Well, let's say it is. (laughs) So when you get too hot, let me just uh, dumb it down here. Um, Yeah, it's, you know, you can take off clothes, you can wet clothes, but having the wrong clothes next to your skin when it's cold and wet can get you into a really bad situation. So try to find stuff that's um, not cotton. Pretty much anything is better than cotton. For your mid-layer, if you do have cotton, this is where you can wear some cotton because if you get really soaked to the bone and it's given you a problem, you can get rid of that mid-layer. But if you're not wet, cotton still traps heat, you know, and it's it's not um, picking up your sweat. That's why you don't want that cotton next to your skin is if it gets wet from the external, from the outside, it's going to stay wet and make you cold. And even if you don't, if it doesn't, you're going to sweat. Your own body's producing moisture, and that's going to get trapped in the cotton. So cotton's just a really rotten thing to have next to your skin. And you'll notice when you start looking at labels how much thermal underwear is actually cotton. Hmm. It's a bad idea. Be careful what thermal underwear you get. Um, I got this, like, wool. It doesn't feel like wool, like that kind of new, like, smart wool or something. something, These long underwear bottoms. I don't think I have them anymore, actually. But they were expensive. I got them from REI back when I was buying stuff more often. But uh, keep your eye out at thrift stores and army surpluses. I've gotten some good stuff from army surpluses for discount prices. I, As I've said before, I think it's always a great idea when you're not buying something brand new. So really look for alternatives. Just ask online sometimes, social media, and see who might want to swap something for, you know, their old, uh, well, maybe not underwear, but <laughs> you, you can make that decision for yourself. Thermal underwear, I think, is okay. Mm-hmm. And then for your outer layer, that's when you're really, like, wanting your heavy wool and heavy fleece and maybe even, like, something that sheds water even better. Like, I don't like rain gear. I find that it traps moisture inside my clothes more than it helps shed it outside. I never wear rain gear. I just wear heavy wool. Um, But yeah, those three layers are really helpful um, to consider and just layering in general. Let's see, what do we have here on the list? Don't build what you can find. This is something that I left out of our, my little 10 minute spiel on shelter during uh, back to reality. Was that your stomach? (laughs) Good God. She's only gone one night without food. Um, so, Don't build what you can find. This is something all the animals know, and this is something that actually we were discussing around our fire last night that we forgot um, as we were looking for a location yesterday. Always look, and this is whether you're in the woods or whether you're hoboing, hitchhiking, always look for the thing already built because you've only got a finite amount of time and energy, and you can put that elsewhere. Um, 
you know, it's fun to go into the woods. Part of the, one of the things we do for, with our survival overnights out here is, you know, this is the time to build something if you want to. Or this is the time to look for something and kind of take shortcuts because that's a very valuable skill in itself. So either way, you're going to learn something. I feel like it's time well spent. People used to ask me, are the survival overnights fun? And I'd always kind of, uh, well, and what I ended up learning to say was, it's time well spent. <laughs> so, if you can find a big dead fallen tree, I just noticed one not far from our camp as I was walking around looking for squirrels this morning. And uh, that would have been great. That would have been a great place to start building an A-frame and a shelter. And even just piling leaves underneath it, um, little things like that make a difference. It can trap heat. Just being under a tree can actually trap a little bit of heat or being under a big dense branch like a hemlock tree or something. That actually can be warmer than being out. Like we're right next to a field. And if you just take 20 steps towards that field, you can feel how much colder it gets. So the woods really regulate temperature and any little thing like that, a branch right over you, a fallen tree. Of course, you know, there's the cliches like a cave i've never really found a great cave to be in um for shelter and caves can be dangerous because when you heat up if you have a fire in there it can heat up rocks and crack things and can possibly um cause a uh cave in but anything like that you know also when i'm hitchhiking same thing i'm looking for abandoned houses and bridges and things of that nature but don't build what you can find most animals they're just wise about location And finding things that they don't have to build, utilizing things that are already there. For instance, groundhogs in this area are the chief hole makers. And most animals that use dens or shelters in a hole, they're just improvising a groundhog hole. Um, Most of the animals around here don't build their own holes, their own dens. So they're using the same philosophy, and it's a really good labor saver. Um, Expanding on that, you know, consider things like Bridges, like when I'm traveling around hitchhiking, this is a great thing. Like, you know, you, you'll always see if you look under bridges, you'll see where people were were under there before. <laughs> Whether it's beer cans, they were just sitting under there, maybe riding out the storm or a whole camp set up. I've seen some pretty fancy shit, actually. I've actually seen a tent, like a four person tent erected underneath a bridge where there's a, a slab of cement that juts out. I don't even know how many people could fit in there without the damn thing falling off, but I saw it with my own eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would tend not to get that fancy with a place that I could get run off of so easily, but maybe it's working for them. That might just be something I haven't explored and don't know. Um, abandoned houses? Man, I've been in an abandoned mill before that was operational. That was really cool. I just kind of snuck in through a window and spent the night on top of like bags of some kind of grain or something (laughs) and just, you know, heard the gears and everything of this windmill going all night. That was a pretty unique experience. And I've been in an abandoned hotel before, um, which is actually pretty nasty, all mildewy and everything. (laughs) I mean, you know how nasty motels get already when they're operational. But, yeah, all kinds of neat abandoned buildings. Some um, airport airplane hangar thing that was down east yeah yeah we weathered and that was i'd say what shelter from what (laughs) cold and wind so we found an air a big airplane hangar and that was one of the abandoned buildings but there's abandoned buildings all over the place you know keep an eye out for shelters you don't have to build and if they're not good enough 
you can expand on them, like a fallen tree, for instance. You can build walls onto that fallen tree a hell of a lot easier than you can just build the structure from the ground up. So take your time looking for that thing. Um, let's see, I'll hand this over to Teresa. Carefully. Uh, so the next thing on our list to cover is location over structure. And Gumby also talked to me about this yesterday because when I decided on the site for my leaf pile slash duff bed, I was thinking that he and I were going to be in that same spot. So I picked a more open area and I wasn't really thinking about using the uprooted trees around here because they just kind of freaked me out a little bit. <laughs> they kind of looked like, I don't know, unmarked graves or something. Um, and they were really rocky and it just wasn't appealing to me. But maybe if I had spent more time, which is what Gumby was uh, talking to me about, that I could have found something and maybe spent less time and less effort, less energy, less calorie burning to get my leaf pile started. So Gumby, what was that about uh, how much time as far as location over structure? Well, Tom Brown teaches spend at least as much time looking for your location as you do building your shelter. And I'd say even a fast shelter that I build, if it's going to be a good effective shelter, I'd say four hours at least for me. Um, so that's four hours that, you know, I should spend looking for a location. And I've never done that. I've never quite known what that means because anytime I'm in a, a, sh a situation where I'm building a shelter... I feel like I need the time to build the shelter, so I get in a hurry to find a place. Um, but more and more, I'm realizing how this all comes together, that I'm just kind of overlooking the connecting points of these philosophies. If I spend that much time looking for a shelter, I'm probably going to find some pretty good crap that's already built. <laughs> Back to that, don't build what you can find. So instead of just finding like you know a good location that doesn't necessarily have something already there, but the location itself is fine. Um, if I spent more time, I might find a cave. I might find a great big dead fallen tree that I just need to build walls around. Um, who knows? But location, you know, in our in our culture, we get so caught up in the house. You know, that's what we spend all our money on. And we don't spend as much time, like there's all these houses that are designed to like, catch the morning sun where the windows are and everything. I don't know styles of houses that much, so I can't tell you the names of these, but there's Victorian designs and things like that. Depending on how high the ceilings are, they're meant to budget like a certain kind of temperature, certain kind of season, a certain part of the world. But then people just pay attention to the design and they build these things like wherever. They don't pay attention to where they build the things. <laughs> but these shelters came from a specific time and place. You know, they were made for that, and they don't make a lot of sense when you apply them somewhere else. You might have to have a huge energy bill just to keep the thing regulated. So location is hugely important. Um, so many mornings when my shelter doesn't work, I go seeking a south-facing hill and find that's just so comfortable and warm, and I catch up on my sleep the next morning. It's way more comfortable than the shelter I spent so much time building. Location, location, location. Um, now, to help you find a good location... And I briefly talked about this in our Back to Reality podcast. Um, I was taught the five W's, and I believe I was taught this through the Wilderness Awareness School on a wilderness survival expedition in Washington. Um, these five W's are mnemonic devices to help you ask the right questions to consider a good location. 
Um, they're not in any particular order, so I'll just say them the, as they come to me. Wood. Um, one of the five W's, wood. So wood includes um, dead branches for your fire. Uh, how are you going to be out there? Are you going to make traps? Do you have materials for that? Just basically the materials you need. Leaves. And also I include leaves in that. So you might think, well, leaves are everywhere in the woods. But when you start really building shelters and looking, there's a lot of different kinds of leaves. There's pine debris. There's like old debris from last year. There's the fresh leaves that are just starting to fall. We were taking a walk yesterday and noticed a ways down the trail, there's these uh, maybe beech leaves that were falling. And they were a lot fluffier. You know, if we'd happen to be over there, our debris piling might have gone quicker. Um and also your accessibility to leaves. For instance, if there's grapevines that are winding their way through the woods, that's really hard to pile. You're going to have to fight those grapevines, and it's going to be a lot of work. But if it's just nice open woods, you know, not a lot of grapevines, you can pile leaves a whole lot quicker. So when I say wood, that, that helps you remember all those factors. Materials, basically. Widowmakers. Always look up. This is the one I always personally forget. I've have built shelters under so many damn widow makers. Mm -hmm. Look for big dead trees that if the weather turns windy and, and rough, they could fall on you or big dead branches. Um, I actually have an acquaintance that went to California and he was camping out there and sure enough, a big dead tree fell on his tent and killed him. So before that happened, I always thought that's kind of a weird one. Does that really happen to people? Like a big dead branch falls on your shelter and kills you? Yeah, it can happen. Um... Wood, Widowmakers, water. So if you build a great shelter and everything about the location and the shelter is working wonderfully, but you got to walk two miles to get to a water source, it's not a good shelter because you're going to need water for a lot of things and you're going to need it soon. So you want to be near a good source of water, but not too near. You know, it looks really scenic to have your, your tent, your shelter near right next to the river. Um, but if that river rises, if the weather turns bad, you know, that can wash out your shelter, flood your shelter. And even if it doesn't, it tends to be more moist down there, um, just more humid. You know, it's trapping moisture and water. Oh, and in the cold, that really sucks because you get that damp cold in your bones, and it's really hard to recover from that. Yeah, so I look for a water source, and then I look uphill for, like, nearby um, someplace I can get away from the water a little bit where it's a short walk but not too close to the water. Um, and if it's near water, you might have another one of the W's you got to look for because there might be mosquitoes or other insects that are laying their eggs in the water. Yeah. And <laughs> it's really an interesting thing to explore that gets into topography because, you know, that's why the water is there. It's, it's shaping the land and the land is, is dictating the course of the water. It's a, a conversation the land is having with the water. And it's really interesting how much it can change your environment where in the elevation and the topography you are. Like, I've been in the mountains before doing a semi-survival trip, and it was so freaking cold in one of my familiar spots that I loved in the summer. And one day towards the end, we just decided to take a walk down this hill, and it was unbelievably warmer, <laughs> so much warmer, down halfway down the hill near the water. Um, I'm not saying get right next to the water, but those valleys on the way to the water, depending on what you're needing shelter from, what are you getting shelter from? That question is so important, mm -hmm. uh, can really change things. So 
again, spend that time looking for location, you know, that's the one I keep missing and I keep making mistakes. Um, so we got wood, we got Widowmakers, we got water, Wigglies. Wigglies is kind of a, a weird one, um, but if you can just remember, when you say Wigglies, you mean hazards, dangers. We already talked a little bit about this, but basically when I learned this, Wigglies, it was out west, and Wigglies could be anything that moved, you know, even on elk trails, you know, are you right in the middle of an elk trail? You don't want to be like, you know, we're in the path of a bunch of frightened elk in the middle of the night. So look for those things that you don't want as close roommates, yellow jackets, snakes, things like that, but also um, throwing it into the group of hazards, poison ivy, things that don't necessarily wiggle, but just remember hazards. Look for those dangers right where you're considering building your shelter. Sometimes cactus. Yeah, cactus, anything like that. Um, Of course, poison oak, poison sumac, depending on where in the world you are. Mm -hmm. Um, And finally... The one I saved for last, because it's kind of got the most details to it, is weather. This is a really fun one to start playing with. Um, Consider the weather of your area. Most places that, definitely true in North Carolina and a lot of other places that I've been, the prevailing wind is from the west. So it's really interesting when you start talking to the wind. The wind, depending on which direction it's coming from, has a different message. And right now the wind is blowing the smoke in my face. (laughs) It's kind of nice being around a fire. You know, we haven't done a podcast around a fire since Simplicity and Minimalism. Yeah. Way back in season one. It's like our fourth episode. But, uh... (coughs) (laughs) No, I'm going to outweigh it. (laughs) The wind. If it's coming from the west, at least in North Carolina and most places in the east, I'm not sure how much of this is true in the west, that tends to mean the weather is not going to change soon. It's the baseline. Um... If you notice the wind, the wind is consistently, the breeze is consistently coming from the west, whatever the weather is, it's probably going to stay that way for a little while. If it starts coming from the east, um, it could mean imminent rain. So start getting ready for rain. If it starts coming from the south, it could mean warmer weather and rain. If it starts coming from the north, it could mean drier weather and cold. So just consider those things, like start paying attention to the wind. And generally, if I'm seeking shelter from the cold, if I can find some way to position myself where I'm on a south-facing or east-facing hill, that's great because I get the morning sun. I get the most sun during the day. Um, Right now, we're on sort of a south-facing hill, so that was nice that we found that. Um, If I can find dense shrubbery or somehow use the landscape or the vegetation to block the west if i have that to the west that can be really helpful for blocking that wind that can steal my heat and rob me of that heat Um, also with the weather a big thing is telling your directions sun rises in the east it sets in the west a lot of us know that A few less of us know where it is at midday. I've asked groups of adults before, can you point to where the sun is in the middle of the day? And a lot of them still point straight up. Unless you live at the equator, that's not true. It's always to the south. So in the winter, when the sun is, the days are shorter, the sun makes a lower arc. So it rises in the southeast, makes a low arc, like low to the south, and then sets in the southwest. In the summer, the higher arc, the longer days, It rises more towards the northeast and then still slants over to the south. It's higher in the sky, but it's still to the south. 
So if it's midday and you look up, you can tell that the sun is not exactly overhead, and that'll tell you where south is. And the directions are so important because you want to build your shelter facing the south or east, preferably the east, to get the morning sun. That also puts the back of your shelter against the west. Not only is that where the wind comes from, but when rough weather rolls in, that's where it generally tends to come from as well. So don't just think about your structure. Think about your location, as I'm saying, you know, dense shrubbery, topography, if you find the right location, that's already the better part of your shelter. Then you're just improving on it with whatever you build. So those five W's, wood, water, weather, wigglies, widowmakers. Um, I've been using those for years, and they're still really handy things to ask myself as I'm considering a good location, especially weather. Start playing with that one. Oh, another thing, cloudy day. How do you tell your directions? I know this is debatable. I hear a lot of people just dismiss this, and I don't know why, because it works for me a lot, but moss on the north sides of trees. So the theory is that moss wants the moisture, and what's going to be moist is the north side of the tree, because the south gets the most sun, because of what I just said about the, the sun being towards the south. So you'll find moss more piled up on the north side of a tree. I found that to be true. I never trust one tree. I look like for four or five trees and see what the general trend is. But more often than not, um, that gives me a really good indicator. The more extreme your topography is, like in the mountains, things like that, the less reliant that is. But here in the Piedmont of North Carolina, I, I show people that all the time. And more often than not, it's it's accurate. It's a good general idea when the the sun is not up in the sky. And just the way an animal passes across the landscape and leaves tracks we can read, the sun passes across the landscape. And even when you can't see it, it's left tracks like that moss. And I, I've always found that to be a very interesting way of, of looking at that. Um, so, Teresa, why don't you tell us about the leaf pile? Well, I'll tell you what I know. <laughs> and I really liked that, how the sun leaves tracks. I really like that image, too. The, uh, the leaf pile, we talked to the kids in our summer camps when we were talking about, what do you do when you need a shelter? Make a giant leaf pile. And the kids would, you know, they'd answer back. But I don't think even I understood or still understand what a leaf pile entails. Because yesterday we got here oh, about, about midday, like a little afternoon. And I wasn't moving fast, but I was also trying to be realistic about my energy level if I if I was lost in the woods. So I, I took a few moments and sat by a tree and just kind of looked at the landscape, looked to see if there was any wildlife, any plants that I might be able to eat. And after that, I started collecting leaves and collecting leaves and collecting leaves. And I gave myself a few breaks, but my goodness, it it takes a lot to make a leaf pile. And, and even then after, I don't know, maybe four hours or so of collecting leaves, I still didn't have enough to have a pile of leaves that is big enough to squirm into. So I'm still learning how to collect them more efficiently. Gumby was showing me how to pick a place that's a big circle that's open as much as you can. And then just start to really, uh, rake the leaves with your hands or with your foot into the middle and get a huge scoop of leaves so that when you come back to the spot you've decided to uh, to make your leaf pile at, you can really be productive. And um, 
that's about all I know as far as leaf piles go, except that mine was kind of a disaster. It it got me up off the ground, but <laughs> if you were to see a picture of it, you would understand. I fell off of both sides. There's like hardly anything touched on the top of my leaf pile, so I don't know where my head was. Um, but my back wasn't cold. It was painful because the leaves weren't shaped properly to my body, but it did what I wanted it to do, which was insulate me from the cold of the ground. Gumby, would you add some more information about leaf piles? Well, what I always tell people is if you forget everything else I said, remember the giant leaf pile because I think that'll save your life. Um, and it does take a lot of work. Like if you're just, if you, if you, if you have not tried that, if you think you've got the theory and that's good enough, go out and try it. Um, <laughs> it is quite different than you might think if you haven't tried with your hands to build a giant leaf pile. But a leaf pile is great. You can squirm into the middle of it. Um, it'll keep you warm in the daytime when you don't need to be as warm. It's really comfortable to lay on top of it. It gets really compact, surprisingly compact. So when you first lay on top of it, it's nice and squishy and really comfortable and soft. But by the morning, it's often rock hard. Those leaves really condense. <clears throat> Let's see, what else can I save about leaf pile? Um, I guess I'll come back to it if I remember anything else. Got to move. The smoke's getting to me. So fort building camp. This is a camp that I've done at a school for many summers. Um, and before that, I was teaching adult programs and um, talking about survival shelter. I found that adults want things with names often, like, well, we want to learn how to do the wiki of how do you do an earth hunt and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, these things are good, but um, yeah, <laughs> a lot of adults will be uh, disappointed if I just show them the leaf pile. Like, that's the best thing I can show you, really, because you can almost invent everything else, you know. If you figure out how to survive the first few days of a survival trip, you can invent. You can improve stuff on your own. You can just start thinking. Um, I love working with kids, these fort building camps. I actually hated the fort building camp. It's one of the ones I did that I did not invent. They just uh, asked me to take it over. And it's in the middle of summer in North Carolina, and the bugs are out, and it's freaking hot. And I've got the kids piling up like debris for shelters and it's just like this is an awful time to teach kids shelter but it's the most popular camp over and over like they'd have to do a fort building and fort building too it's one of the few camps they'd repeat for the summer so i teach the kids all the stuff we're talking about right now and kind of gather them up in the grass and they'd ask questions and i really enjoyed interacting with the kids and it was an easy camp to do because the way i do it is i just you know say you build whatever shelter you want if you want to practice these things we're learning great if you want to just build something like that is your imagination and that you're really happy with, that's also good. Um, I'm just going to drill you every day on these these things I'm teaching you to make sure that at least you've got a good introduction to them. And it's up to you how far you want to go with them. So after that, I just kind of walk around, talk to them and answer questions if they had them. And they'd build their forts and they'd occupy themselves for hours. So I think that's really interesting to watch um, what natural... And not just shelter building, but so many other things that kids naturally are wired for it. It's it's strange how much you can just let them go with these ancient skills. And it's like, that's the kind of animal we are. We just go and we start building forts and it's great. Um, anything you want to add to fort building camp? Well, I guess as a sort of a segue, I would just say that... Um, what Gumby said about how kids are kind of natural at this, it starts to be... Um, I don't know, beaten, but like it, it's taught out of us. And so 
when you start to get older kids in the camp, whether they're uh, helping us, like as a counselor in training or whatever, there there starts to be this attitude of like, well, I can't do this unless I have a this, like a saw, for example. Like, how am I supposed to be able to make a shelter if I don't have tools? And I thought that was interesting because no other kids were really asking that unless they were maybe 12 years or older, but the eight-year-olds, 10-year-olds, even a little bit older than that, they weren't asking for tools. They were just using what they found and using what they had. And I think that's more realistic. <laughs> that's that's a better survival skill than once you try to um, add those complicated things in like tools. But that it was kind of a segue into uh, some other things that we were teaching the kids. Yeah, so here's some tips for building a shelter because most shelters that are survival shelters, you know, if they're not log cabins, you might be picturing like, you know, notching the cabin and these advanced shelters and you could get around to that, but you're going to need something until that gets built. And maybe you'll decide you don't need anything that uh, fancy, that, that solid, that permanent. Um, like I said, there's a lot of freedom and just having a shelter that lasts for as long as you need it. And then you can give it back to the earth and move on. So working with debris and sticks, um, breaking sticks, you're going to need to break sticks down to size. One of the things you do when you build a shelter is you don't want sticks sticking way up out of your debris. Cause if it rains, the raindrop can hit that stick, ride it right down into your shelter and hit you rain on you. So it's really good to know how to break these sticks. You might not have a saw or an axe, or you might want to not use your energy just sawing all these sticks. I'll find two trees that are going pretty close together, and I will take my stick and figure out where exactly I want it broken and push it against one tree. This is going to be hard to describe. Push it against one tree. Maybe I'll do a video. And wedge it against the second tree where I want the break and push it and because the, the let's say, tree A, no, that's not going to work, but one tree will kind of hold it as I'm pushing it against the second tree, and it'll break right there. And you can get really exact, and I know that was kind of uh, abstract. Maybe I will make a video. But you can use two trees to break sticks really well, um, things that would be hard to do just by your hand without the trees. Let's see. Stacking debris. You might think, well, you know, you just grab armfuls of leaves and throw it on top of your shelter and gravity does the rest. Um, But it leaves all kinds of holes and gaps. So when you stack debris, like Teresa was saying, find a good location, you know, make a big pile and then take that big pile and put your arms around it. Get low so you're carrying the most you can. Like try to carry the whole pile in one one go if you can. It's going to save you a lot of energy in the long run. And treat it like bricks. Like, I used to throw my debris right on top of a shelter and have all kinds of holes and problems. But then a teacher taught me to treat it like bricks. In other words, you put your big bundle of debris at the bottom and then your next bundle of debris right next to it. And you build around the bottom of your shelter and then another stack, another row. So you're stacking your debris like bricks. It it works together really tightly. You have a really good solid wall of debris that's going to a lot more protection from wind and rain and cold and trap a lot more heat. Um, piling. I'm not sure what I meant by that. I don't know either. Huh. Well, I'll come back to it if I remember. 
I've even heard you can pee on your shelter for uh, <laughs> the nitrogen in your pee will help begin the um, composting process, and that can actually help with heat. Um, and for this class, my partner and I, we actually took turns peeing on our shelter we were sharing. Um, you know, you might think how gross that is, but if you get out in the woods and <clears throat> start experimenting with survival situations, you'll find that those basic needs start being a lot more important than your, your gross factor. Um, and I don't know if it actually works. I can't say I've seen it work. The survival instructor might've just been playing a trick on us and like, he still might be telling people that and laughing like, man, I had the whole class pissing on their shelter. Like, oh my God, you should have seen it. Matter of fact, that's a pretty good one. <laughs> but anyway, I'm just throwing it out there because that's what they told me. Um, latticing. Once you get your debris stacked up, it's good to hold it together in case the wind gets really strong. Um, find branches that have a lot of like branches on it, not just one big log, but like a branchy branch, you know, something with that reaches out and start putting that on top of your shelter. It'll form like a little shell, like a bunch of hands and kind of hold on to those leaves and keep the wind from stealing it. You can even use latticing or netting as I've heard it called. Um, when you don't have a lot of debris. So put one layer of debris and then put a bunch of latticing on top of it and then put another layer of debris and then put latticing on top of it. This can actually trap what's called dead air space, which can help with your heat and make your debris stretch further when you don't have a lot of debris. Hmm. Um, aside from what I just said about holding the debris there if the wind gets really strong. <clears throat> and the minimum debris you're looking when you're building something um, that has walls like an A-frame or a wiki up or something like that is if you wriggle your arm into the debris and you can touch the wood, the structure, the ribs, the, the solid part of your shelter, the debris should reach your armpit. So from armpit to fingertip is the minimum of debris, more debris when it's really cold weather. That's your goal is to have that amount, armpit to fingertip. Um, that's I don't, a lot. That is a lot. I'd always show the kids that in Fort Building Camp, and they just kind of, their mouths would drop open, and they wouldn't say anything like, oh, my God. <laughs> but, yeah, it's a lot of work to build a shelter, depending. You know, like I used to think that was just solid rule. It's a lot of work to build a shelter. But, again, back to that question, shelter from what? Depending on what you're wanting shelter from, it's not always a lot of work. A little duff bed can get you through a lot of nights. You're always gambling when you're uh, thinking it's not going to rain. I've been wrong about that before and really regretted it. But... You know, you get really good at reading the weather. Sometimes you can tell pretty confidently, I I'm, feel really sure it's not going to rain tonight. And maybe you don't need much of a shelter. Again, do you have fire? You know, what are your clothes like? Uh, so shelter doesn't always have to be a lot of work, but it can be. It often is a lot of intense labor. Um, so we've talked about location. We've talked about some general methods for building your shelter. I used to learn all these things that had names, debris hut, lean-to, et cetera, et cetera, until I read in a Tom L. Pell book and watched his videos, The Art of Nothing, which are really good. Um, he talked about the four principles of a good shelter, and he said every shelter should be unique. He veers away from the named shelters. You know, it should, it should fit the landscape. And after experimenting with that for years, I agree with him. I, I felt like I really improved in my shelter, the way I look at shelter, and I started doing this. Four things you need in a shelter. One are a source of heat. So if you've got a fire, you can build something that utilizes that fire. But more often than not, if you're alive, what you can depend on for your source of heat is your own body heat. 
So some source of heat. If it's really warm weather, the air itself is your source of heat. You don't need to do anything. It's already there. But something needs to be a source of heat. Two, the second principle of a good shelter, insulation. So if your body's a source of heat, how come you're not already always warm all the time? Because things are robbing you of it. The wind's blowing it away. The ground's sucking it out of you. Um, you need to trap the heat. That's why a sleeping bag works. Sleeping bag's not warm. If you stick your hand inside of a sleeping bag like that's just been in a cold place, it's cold inside. It's going to start getting warm really quick, though, because it's made to trap heat, the heat of your hand in this case. So some way to trap heat. And the big way to trap heat? More debris. Lots and lots of leaves. Third principle of a good shelter, you want it to shed water. Um, if you can trap heat and you've got a source of heat, you've got a pretty decent, like the leaf pile, for instance. It's not great at shedding water, but it's trapping so much heat that it can still get you through a cold rainy night fairly well. But even better if you can shed that water altogether. Um, 45 degree angles. That's one of the keys to trapping heat. If you put a lot of debris, like I said, from your fingertip to your armpit minimum on top of a 45 degree angle, whether it's in a circle like a teepee or a wiki up, whether it's a wall like an A-frame or a lean-to, but utilizing a 45-degree angle, you start getting a flat, like less of an angle, water can pool up on it and eventually cave it in. You've got a weak structure. If you start getting too vertical, um, it's too upright, it starts getting kind of wobbly, and that's unstable too. 45-degree angle, beautiful, perfect. That'll shed water really well. And finally, the fourth principle, weather stripping. And this just basically means plugging holes. Um, going inside your shelter, feeling around, you feel any cold drafts, sticking more debris in there. Plugging all your holes, um, especially the door. The biggest hole of your shelter is the door. So really figuring out a way to plug that hole. You can make your door smaller. You don't want your door any bigger than you need it to be. It's a waste of energy. It's a, it's a hard thing to trap heat in. So I'll do a little igloo door. I'll build my shelter, and then I'll get two Y sticks, and put them like from the distance my armpit is, if I can touch the front of my shelter, because again, minimum debris, that's how thick you want it. Stick them in the ground, that can be kind of hard to do. You can, like, I'll often take a pointy stick and another stick for a hammer and make two holes and then stick the Y sticks in the ground. Solid Y sticks, this can be, uh, take practice to find really good solid Y sticks. Like have a, you, you say Y stick that has like a fork at the top of it? Yeah and have it straight up, uh, armpit distance from your shelter. And then take another stick and like shove it into the debris and have it resting on the Y. And another stick shoved into the debris resting on the Y at the two sides of your door. And then I'll start just placing sticks on top, flat. Oh. And placing sticks on the side, flat. And I know this is, again, really abstract, but picture kind of an igloo door. What I'm getting is a little tiny square. Like a little alcove or something. Yeah. And then start piling on the debris. And now I've got a much smaller door to plug. And I can have a pile of leaves outside and just pull them in as I squirm into my shelter and really, like, pack it in. And now I've got a pretty decent door. So that's just one simple way. There's fancier ways to do it, definitely. And depending on what you find, you know, I found litter in the woods and used, like, old carpet and even a big chunk of styrofoam one time. Um, anything that can help you along. You know, don't get stuck on you have to use natural material. Because the fact is, after what we've done to the landscape, litter is going to be a natural resource in these woods for a long time. <laughs> and it's, it would 
you'd be a fool to just ignore that because a lot of the stuff can be useful. Um, and again, I credit Tom L. Pell to that. <clears throat> and there are endless improvisations that you can make. Um, so these four principles, you know, you think about a debris hut. I'm not going to go into a whole lot because you can look this stuff up, and especially if you get a book on it. Wiki up. Um, lean-tos are not my favorite. You know, you're just basic lean-to. But it's kind of nice when you have a fire because you can put firewood underneath your lean-to, get the fire as close as you dare to your lean-to, <laughs> and make a elevated bed, you know, with a couple of logs and then putting sticks on top of that. So you're off the ground. But I find it's kind of tricky to get them to be really sturdy and to shed rain well. But when they do work, they're they're really beautiful. They work well. And the fire is really nice to be next to, you know, to have that getting trapped in your lean-to. And, of course, you can uh, add to your lean-to, add more walls and everything, and start closing in more around the fire. Uh, vine hammock. Um, that was something that... I tried one time and I thought it worked really well. I got wisteria vines and just cut them and tied them around trees and made sort of a, a hammock attached to three trees, a triangle. It worked really well. I had a wonderful night's sleep and it was kind of chilly that night. So I used one of the, the tricks I've learned to make a big pile of debris underneath the hammock. So when I get in it, it sinks into the leaf pile. And uh, that really traps a lot of heat because one of the problems with the hammock is you get cold underneath. Um, a debris wall, just pounding sticks into the ground opposite each other in a semicircle around your fire or, you know, even bigger. I've done this when I was doing a survival overnight at the Croatan National uh, Forest and just stacking it with debris, lots of debris, lots of debris, you know, branches going to kind of hold it together. Any kind of debris you can fit in there. You can make a pretty quick wall and it traps a significant amount of heat, especially if you have a fire. It blocks the wind and the fire light, the fire heat bounces back at you. So I just made a couple duff beds in between the fire and the debris wall, and that worked pretty well. Um, of course, it does nothing for rain, but it didn't rain that time, so we were lucky. Duff bed, my old simple standby. We talked a lot, a little bit about that. Um, I learned this during that wilderness survival expedition, and it was so cool how they taught it to us, too, because they took us out in the mountains on the survival trip, and they walked us and walked us, and it was cold, and it started to rain, and walked us into the night in these mountains we were we had never been to before. And finally, about one o'clock in the morning, they turned to us, and all we were allowed to bring is like a little day pack worth of stuff. And they said, "Okay, whatever you know about shelter, go ahead and build one. We'll oh see you in the morning." <laughs> so I was with my ex-girlfriend at the time doing this, and everybody just kind of, you know, did the best they could with their rain ponchos and everything. And it was a horrible freaking night's sleep. I say sleep. Um, but we got through it and you can bet your ass we were paying attention the next morning when they said, so you want to see what we built? It was a beautiful way to teach because, you know, if you just like try to show somebody how to build a shelter, it's, you know, you can just kind of see them like, ah, yeah, all right, cool. You know, I've, I've done something better than that in Boy Scouts, blah, blah, blah. Show people what they don't fucking know because people always, kids, adults, everybody thinks they know more than they do. Um, so I, I love the way they taught that, even though it was a miserable night, because <laughs> they taught us the duff bed. And it was just mainly taking big sticks and everything, big logs, making a mattress-sized thing, however big you need it. Whoever you can get in that duff bed with you, um, I think they said up to like five people tends to be good. If you get much more than that, it starts dispersing more heat. They don't know if it's worth it. Mm. But, you know, the body heat together in the duff bed, put whatever duff, debris, whatever leaves, whatever stuff you can put in there. Sometimes like out there, it was moss a lot. 
Um, put that in there and then crawl in. And if you got a rain poncho, you know, you kind of snap that together and it's a decent shelter. I've used the duff bed a lot. If I'm not worried about rain, I'm, I'm going with the duff bed most times. It's just easy and I can put my energy in other things. And one thing that me and a couple of uh, teenage boys that were doing the survival overnights, our first four-nighter. So it was the first year I'd done the survival overnights with other people. We got through all the challenges, and it was the big one at the end, where you go in the winter for four nights with nothing but your clothes, no tools. And we had been working on these four principles of a good shelter and decided to just invent something. We were lucky enough to win our fire the first night with uh, what we found in the woods. And we built this thing that we ended up calling a wiggy what. It was this big kind of wicky up thing, but we had a fire inside, which ended up being kind of tricky to, to manage. I, was, <laughs> I let one of the boys like watch the fire one night. And I was like, all right, so your night do a fire watch. And I woke up and his bed's on fire. And <laughs> oh my God. that was the last night I got any sleep. So <laughs> I was the fire watcher after that. But we found like a little dump nearby. And this is where we used the styrofoam and the carpet I mentioned for the door. Used the little igloo door that I was talking about. We built that. But we just invented something because we know the four principles of a good shelter. We don't need to build something with a name. We can just improvise. Right. And that was the first time I'd improvised. And it was so cool because it was like freezing outside and it rained outside. It got below freezing. And we were in there and we were on our duff beds and like we could hear the wind howling outside and we had a little fire going going and you know you could just kind of cozy up to the fire i mean it was magical it was the the first time any of the three of us had like built a shelter under those challenging conditions that worked so well <laughs> it really felt like a whole new door was opened up to the possibilities of what we can do you know more freedom um troubleshooting yeah so <laughs> I took a survival class and everybody was building their shelters and for this survival class for the week after lecture time and whatever you're learning for the day, you go into your debris hut and you sleep in it. So the instructors would walk around and they'd help people improve their shelters. And it was the same advice over and over for everybody to the point where before they'd even see your shelter, they'd, they'd yell, more debris, <laughs> more leaves. If you don't know why your shelter's not working and you're out of ideas of other things to try, you know, you've got your 45 degree angle, you've got everything. You're like, why the hell isn't this working better? Stuff more leaves in it. Stuff more leaves inside. Stuff more leaves on top. More debris. It's always going to help. Um so, yeah, that's my best troubleshooting advice if you're building survival shelters. Um, and, uh, and kind of secondarily to that is what I've heard called the law of triangles. Are you trying to say something? Nope. The law of triangles is if you've got an A-frame, you know, picture that. You're crawling in and you've got like a, a stick leaning up against uh, the crotch of a tree and then sticks angled on both sides of it. So it's like an A-frame, like a tent, a tarp. You, it's a big triangle. Your body's not triangle-shaped. So you crawl into that, you're still cold, you can start closing off the triangles with smaller triangles. So putting rafters in, getting sticks and pushing it into the debris and putting rafters in your A-frame and then stuffing that with debris. And then those two corners on each side of you, you're losing heat there. You can put your hand there and feel, ooh, it's cold in there, cold draft. More triangles, stick sticks there, you know, into the debris, close that off, stuff it with debris. So... Thinking of things in triangles, look for the triangles in your shelter. Often you will find things that are roughly triangle-shaped that are a waste of heat. Heat's mm. going there. It's not serving you. Close off the triangles. And generally what you close off the triangles with 
often in itself looks like a smaller triangle, which is why it's called the law of triangles. So that was really helpful. But there's all kinds of little tips, like the peeing on the debris thing. I don't know if that works. But things that I have found that worked are just simple things, like if you have a door, find a big log and just put that in front of your door. That big log actually traps heat. You can feel a difference. You crawl over the log now into your door, into your shelter. Little things like that. Anything that you can add that helps trap heat um, really does make a difference. It's the little things that add up. Oh, okay. Shoot. We're over an hour. Um, well, there were some other examples of shelters. So we're moving up from kind of your clothing all the way through leaf piles and then different styles of debris huts. But there's also man-made things that you can uh, incorporate into a shelter or be a shelter itself. So a tarp uh, we've used to make kind of a burrito uh, around us to keep heat in as well as keep the rain off of us. And uh, I don't know, Gumby, I'm probably missing a bunch of stuff here. I'm just trying to rattle through this list. Tents. I don't really like tents anymore. I used to use tents a lot. And of course, if you don't have trees to hang up a hammock, whether it's a homemade hammock out of a sheet and some like paracord or something like that, or a store-bought hammock like an Eno hammock or something out of kind of parachute material, um, I guess a tent would be useful, but I've just felt way more uh, condensation in the tent and it's not comfortable to sleep on the ground. So I would prefer not to use a tent. I guess the only time would maybe be if it's going to be super rainy. But Yeah, it's good for privacy and it's good for keeping bugs out, but that's about it. Oh, and speaking of bugs, we actually, I purchased something. This was a while ago when I was still working. But we knew that we were going to be uh, hiking the mountains to the sea trail in this area that had a lot of mosquitoes, like just a lot of sand fleas and all sorts of other biting noceums. And it's called Sands Bug. There's probably other brands. Um, Sands, S-A-N-S, Bug. And it comes in a disc shape that's a little bigger than a, a standard backpack, like for kids going to school. Um, but it's flat. And so what I ended up doing is I used a tarp as a backpack, which Gumby showed me how to do. And then the Sands Bug thing, it... Um, it has straps on the, the carry case, so I just use the straps and put it over my tarp backpack. But it's a pop-up shelter that is really good for keeping noceums off of you. It's not very big. It's maybe about three and a half feet wide by maybe six and a half feet long. So it's just barely enough space. But I will say that it worked to keep the bugs off of us. Um, I've not used a bivy sack. Maybe Gumby can talk about that. And then sleeping. Well, I'll just say right here that I just put bivy sack on there because I've heard people mention it. And uh, I've heard bad things about it, like from homeless people that wrote books, Ace Backwards, for instance. So I've never been inspired to try one myself. That's all I had to say about it. Just mm. that's an option out there, and I uh, have not tried it. I will say that sleeping bags are game changers. And unfortunately, my sleeping bag, which I... Uh, recently upgraded to a sleeping bag that was um, for colder temperatures. It's been so hot just to use on a regular basis, but I was excited to use it last night until I realized the freaking zipper wasn't zipping properly. So I was just zipping up the side of it and then it was just gaping open. So that sucked. Um, I, I ended up, I was so upset last night that I just 
I, um, I bit the end of the zipper that I felt like was a little bit loose to try to tighten it up, which is dangerous because I could have cracked a molar or something, but it ended up working. So if you have anything where a zipper's not closing, um, you can use pliers or something to tighten the end, like the bottom of the zipper part. And can be. Well, I, I want to reinforce that sleeping bag. I think that is one of the. That's a tool that counts. A sleeping bag is a hugely great thing to have. If you can get a hold of a sleeping bag, do it. Um, I've heard homeless people say that that like that is their indispensable thing. They can find like plastic or whatever to, you know, wrap around the sleeping bag. But the sleeping bag makes all the difference. And it really does. I mean, aside from my complaints of my particular sleeping bag, it really makes a difference. I remember, I was just going to say real quick, we were in three degree Fahrenheit weather at night. There was snow on the ground and I had a sucky sleeping bag that like only went down to, I don't know, like 45 degrees or something. It sucked. But the sleeping bag I have now, I believe if I would have used that, I would have stayed at least a little warmer, if not warm enough. Yeah, and sleeping bag, this can be one of those things that are uh, difficult to find not brand new. Um, but, yeah, I've, I've tried to do without sleeping bags before, and, of course, you can. You can use blankets and everything, but, man, sleeping bags, they really make a difference. You're glad when you've got one. And you're you're currently working on a sleeping bag that you're making out of plastic bags. I hope to see that finished and maybe try it out. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> well, because the plastic is so insulating, so it's a really good idea. Um, something else that Gumby shared with me, I thought he was just coming on to me mm-hmm. at first, but I didn't know this. I thought, again, like with your clothing, like the more clothing you have, the the more it's going to keep the heat on you. But actually, when you're in a sleeping bag, because you're the source of the heat, if you wear clothes in the sleeping bag, then you're trapping the heat and it's not warming up the sleeping bag. And so it's actually colder to sleep in a sleeping bag with your clothes on. So what's the advice, Gumby? Get naked. <laughs> it's so true. I, I really thought he was just trying to get me naked in a sleeping bag, but it is it actually works. Try it for yourself. And Gumby has also uh, recommended, and, and I practice this as well as he, uh, to just Take your clothes and stuff them in your sleeping bag, especially if there's a place that you're already feeling like, oh, the sleeping bag's working, but I could use a little bit more warmth here, like on your lower back or your, your feet. Yeah, and this is apparently debatable. I've I've known people who say they've tried it and it didn't work for them, but I, I testify to it. Like for me, it definitely worked. I always take off as many clothes as I can. If I'm in a place I might get disturbed, you know, I'm not like in the middle of the woods, I might just go down to my underwear. But the, those extra clothes, yeah, you'll find little places like the small of your back or whatever that are getting cold. You can just stuff those uh, clothes right there. And also for comfort, too. You know, you're getting a backache, you can use it for extra support. And what did you mean by socks and hat? I'm guessing to wear it. Yeah, so even if you're naked, and if you picture this, it's really sexy. Oh. You can wear, like, big old socks and, like, a big knit hat. Like and, tube socks. And nothing else. Oh, God. <laughs> I need a moment. Um, yeah, so Gumby, that uh, that was really good advice. What do you have to say about additional shelters like the, the one that we're using now, like our magic tent, the minivan? Um, just, you know, in keeping with the spirit of this, I didn't want this to be just purely a survival shelter because, 
you know, shelter from what, uh, how slight a shelter we need can go a lot of different directions. So our magic tent, our minivan is such a great shelter that, uh, we realized we have not done a survival trip in quite some time, which is why we're out here right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, your car, your, your van, you know, these are all really good shelters. And if you forget what a good shelter it is, do without it for a little while. Like just, you know, hit the streets for a few nights without it. And I guarantee you're going to look at it a lot different when you come back. Um, <laughs> you're going to be like, wow, it's so good to have this. Um, let's see, where are we? Yeah. Houses and rooms, apartments. Uh, we were in a trailer and we even had like a little tiny house that we were experimenting with no electricity and everything. So yeah, just kind of, you know, consider all your shelter. Like, can you do with less is basically, I feel like the bottom line, consider how slight a shelter is absolutely necessary because that big reinforced shelter that sucks all that electricity and fuel, it's a prison. It's like Jack Kerouac says, uh, You know, houses are full of things that gather dust. You have a big responsibility to that house. So really consider giving up a lot of that. You're going to have less impact on the land and more mobility, more freedom. It's really cool when you can just build a shelter and use it for a few days and then move on and know that you have the skills to just find or make or improvise another kind of shelter right around the corner. And I just wanted to say, because... I never would have believed this was possible, but we just came back, what, like a a little bit over a week ago to North Carolina, and we had been all across the country, all up the east coast to the northernmost part of Maine, down across the um, Great Lakes region, into the plains, all the way through the Badlands and into Wyoming, um, down through Utah. We went into a little bit of Southern California and then came all the way back on I-40, And we only slept in a paid place one time. And what I mean by that is we didn't pay for a single campsite. And we really didn't need to pay for that one time. We just treated ourselves because it was like pouring down rain and we were just like, eh, let's get a hotel room. And it was a really cheap price. But through the whole country, and how many months were we out there? Like two months or something? You mean this road trip across the country? Yeah. It's more like three months. Okay, so we only spent one night inside, and that was a paid hotel room. And ever since we moved into the van, which was, I believe, a full-time in the van, April 1st, haha, 2019, <laughs> this year, um, we've only slept inside twice. And I think that's pretty cool because that's a testament to how comfortable and uh as, as much of a shelter that we need that our minivan is. Yeah, sometimes the grass is always greener and we'll start thinking like, oh man, it'd be nice to have a bed. But every time we do it, it's like, well, you know, it wasn't really that much nicer. I, I kind of feel like I wasted money. So, yeah. Yeah, so um, really think about what type of shelter you can do with and what you can do without. And I want to, did you want to read the, uh, I was actually going to read sure. that one. Yeah, but you, you can read it. Yeah, picked out. I'm fine with that. Okay. So, Dennis from Jerome, Idaho, wrote, uh, At a very young age, I was given a book called Outdoor Survival Skills by Larry Dean Olson. Now, I personally haven't read this book, but I'm interested now to check it out. Dennis says, It is very relevant to my southern Idaho location. If you're ever back in my neighborhood, be sure to check it out. Um, and great podcast. 
and I think he was making fun of Gumby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't know. I didn't get the reference at first, and then I realized that was in reference to the uh, <laughs> what was it? The um challenge foraging podcast where I'm trying not to say um. I was yeah. like, oh, okay, I get it, but. <laughs> I am familiar with Larry Dean Olson. I've heard good things about him. I can't remember if I've necessarily read a book by him or not, but yeah, I've 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 heard good things about him, and uh, I would like to second that just from my peripheral knowledge of hearing other people say that that it seems to be a really good resource. Yeah, and we really appreciate Jerome. Uh, oops, sorry, Dennis writing in from Jerome, Idaho, and we'd love to hear from you. So if you have any questions, suggestions, comments, um, please contact us on our website escapingsociety.weebly.com. We also have a Facebook page, Escaping Society, where I try to share um, things that we talk about in the podcast. We have a YouTube channel with various videos on how to do things and stuff. And if you have a moment to review our podcast, please do so, especially if it's a good review. (laughs) But anyway, we really appreciate you listening. And this is season three already. My goodness, we've got a lot to share this season. Gumby, anything else you want to add? Bye. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. Oh, society sucks and we don't need it. It's killing your kids, so why do you feed it? They'll tell you to stay, but you don't need to heed it. You can give them the finger. There's no time to linger. So. Thank you for listening to our song It's not very good and it went kind of long Don't care if you like it cause we'll be gone Over that next horizon We ain't got no address